And now, before we officially begin this week's episode of the Boochcast, I have something very important that I need to discuss with all of you here at the Boochcast Nation. As you know, for many years now, I have been affiliated with a wrestling company called Universal Championship Wrestling. And the company is run by a gentleman by the name of Ronnie Gossett. I've known Ronnie for close to seven years now, and and anyone who knows Ronnie like I do knows what a bright light he brings with him everywhere he goes. Sadly, his declining health has added to the intense depression that he's fought since losing his daughters in 2017. Ronnie, in addition to being a wrestling promoter, also uses his musical gifts to spread joy to everyone around him and invest in his community every time he has the opportunity. Ron's health has begun to severely affect his quality of life and his ability to function independently. After being hospitalized, he has been advised by doctors that he doesn't have the one to two years it would take to get his health under control. However, there is a solution. Ron can get through this physical trial and thrive if he is able to raise the funds for a life-saving surgery. There is so much hope for his life, there is so much joy left for Ronnie to spread, and there are so many more fun nights he gets to create. Fighting diabetes that is out of control, coupled with blood flow issues and coronary heart disease, has brought intense pain to Ronnie's life daily and made even the most simple tasks incredibly difficult. He is losing the ability to work and provide for himself. Ron has been involved in the professional wrestling industry as a wrestler and a promoter for over 20 years with events that entertain many and also makes a living traveling throughout Georgia and South Carolina, facilitating karaoke and using his singing talent to entertain and inspire others. Ronnie will wear the mask of I'm okay forever and is the last person to ask for help. Trust me, I know this from experience. I love Ronnie to death, but he is a stubborn bastard, and he will never ask for help. He has needed friends to help him get to and from events in recent weeks, but struggles with shame, embarrassment, and believing that no one cares about him. His life matters, and it can be saved. Any amount helps. A surgery will save his life and give him the opportunity to live many more years blessing the lives of others, even reconnecting with his children in the future. And that is why I am encouraging everyone to go to the GoFundMe page that we have on our Boochcast Facebook page and donate whatever amount you can to help him raise the money he needs for this life-saving surgery. The goal is to raise $15,000. Now, as I mentioned before, every little bit helps. So you're not required, obviously, to donate thousands of dollars if you don't have that kind of money to throw around. But every little bit that you can give helps. And just to show how serious I am about this, I personally, Vinny Bucci, have donated $50 to the GoFundMe campaign. And I'm doing it for two reasons. One, because I consider Ronnie a dear friend in addition to a coworker, and I desperately want him to get better. But the other reason is to show all of you, the Boochcast Nation, that I always practice what I preach. And the one thing that I always preach to you guys is that I never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, ask any of you to donate money to any cause that I myself 
am not willing to donate to. So go to GoFundMe.com slash Saving Ron's Life. I will have links to this on the Boochcast Facebook and Twitter page for you guys to easily access and donate whatever amount you can. Every little bit helps no matter what it is. Don't feel like if you're donating a small amount, you're not contributing. You are helping us to reach this goal. Let's help Ronnie get back on his feet and get him the life-saving surgery he needs to thrive and provide and live a long and happy life. And if you would like to meet the shooter, Ronnie Gossett, in person, you can catch him Sunday, May 23rd from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. as Universal Championship Wrestling presents the NWO Reunion and Road Stories. This will be taking place at Whiskey's, located at 3069 Wade Hampton Boulevard, Taylor, South Carolina, 29687. Again, that address is 3069 Wade Hampton Boulevard, Taylor, South Carolina, 29687. The event will be hosted by the shooter Ronnie Gossett and myself, Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch. And joining us for the NWO reunion will be two of the biggest names in the history of the New World Order, Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner and Buff the Stuff Bagwell. They will be there telling road stories and answering questions from myself, Ronnie Gossett, as well as the audience where there will be a live Q&A session where you guys can ask them any questions that you want. We will answer all your questions. No punches will be pulled and of course there will be a special meet and greet before the event where you guys can meet all of us and you can get autographs pictures cop some merch all this great stuff is going down sunday may 23rd at whiskey's Tickets are $20, and you can purchase them either at Whiskey's. You can go physically to the bar to pick them up. You can get them on eventbrite.com. Just type in UCW NWO Reunion and Road Stories, or you can purchase them at the official website, www.ucwtv.com. So get your tickets now before they sell out for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear some NWO Reunion and Road Stories. Mother's Day. Didn't get a gift for her. Other plans got in the way. She'll be so disappointed. Damn, I forgot it too. This could have been avoided. What the hell are we gonna do? My mom's been so alone ever since my daddy left. No one to hold her tight. Life has put her to the test. I know just what you mean. My mom's been so sad and great. My dad can't satisfy her in the bedroom ever since he passed away. Hold up. You thinking what I'm thinking? I'm thinking I'm Wrong. I don't want to be right I'm calling on you 
poses. I got my digital camera. I'ma make your mama do a million poses. They will be so surprised. We are so cool and thoughtful. Can't wait to book your mom. I'ma be the syrup. She could be my waffle. Shout up. My mama loves bubble bath with chamomile. Straight up. Give it to my mom. Did 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 tell me This is the perfect plan for a perfect Mother's Day. They'll have to rename this one all up under the covers day. Cause I'm a mother lover. You're a mother Fuck each other's mothers, fuck each other's moms I'm pushing that lady, where you came out as a baby Ain't no doubt this shit is crazy Fucking each other's moms Bring it down It would be my honor to be your new stepfather It would be my honor to be your new stepfather And while you and my mother make me another brother Damn. And while I'm in your mother, I'll never use a rubber oh. Cause every mother's day needs a mother's night yeah. They blessed us both with the gift of life She brought you in this world, so I'ma sex her right This is the second best idea that we've ever had The choice can be no other, be my mother lover Happy Mother's Day Boochcast, Boochcast, party time, excellent That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another episode of the Boochcast. Party on, Vinny. Party on, Elvis. And this week's episode is entitled, um, Life is a Mother Lover. Let's go with that. Um, My Life is a Mother Lover, absolutely. Yes, Life is a Mother Lover, ladies and gentlemen. And, of course, we are not only referring to the fact that Mother's Day was last night, at least at the time, or at least at the time you're listening to this, it was last night. Technically, it's uh, still ongoing for another uh, hour and 14 minutes. But also, it pertains to our theme song for this week, which was Mother Lover by The Lonely Island featuring Justin Timberlake. Uh, Elvis brought this idea to my attention, and I got to be honest, I couldn't say no. Not just because it was Mother's Day yesterday, but because this is a great fucking song. Yeah, I love the Lonely Island. Um, I think the beat was really good. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw this video, I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> I was like, you know what? These these guys are awesome. Um, I usually post this video every year on Facebook um, for Mother's Day <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, because why wouldn't you? Um, I don't know. I mean, in a way, I guess it's better than the Mother's Day theme song I used to have. Um, Who's that? Uh, well, it's gonna. I, this is going to sound really corny and cliche, but I actually, when I first started doing the Boochcast, my Mother's Day theme song was The Perfect fan by the Backstreet Boys. Okay. Because it was okay. a song specifically devoted to moms. Oh. Yeah. Look at you being all sweet and sentimental. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, you know, and that was it. It was called the and the, yeah, like the lyrics were Mom, you always were the perfect fan. And fans went crazy for that. So well, it was I a, mean it beats the one it's a, it beats the one that Zach plays every year. Which one's that? Hey, you're a crazy bitch. You fuck so good. <laughs> Top of it, and then hey, remember you all night. <laughs> oh sorry. my god. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh god, we're dead. We're as good as dead. This is. I oh know. God. He like. He, I'm pretty sure he shared this fucking video, not knowing that he's like, oh fuck, really? Five minutes into it, really, Elvis? What no. the fuck? Oh, we're getting phone calls. 
I'm or, getting a text message for or, sure. Or someone else on the show used, or someone else on the show would normally say, "We go and get letters." We go and get letters. <laughs> He's, He's like, I, it's the Boochcast mailbag. Get I, reading all your letters online. So you know what we should do is like, whenever we do a show, we should read the we should read the text messages that Zach sends us. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> really, guys? Seriously, you gotta make fun of me every fucking show. Why are you guys always making fun of me? Bite my Irish ass. Like, I know what's coming. But you know what? They're like, you know, we skip one week of like not making fun of him, so we have to catch up to like two times. So exactly. Um, and um, and the best part is, um, if all goes according to plan tomorrow um zach and i are meeting up to zach actually wants to do a podcast with me so we're gonna be we might be recording something tomorrow so he'll he'll get his receipt so zach if you're listening to this episode you're already getting your receipt so don't complain well well i'm gonna give him i'm gonna give him i'm gonna give him the mic and let him just say whatever he wants about us that's wow just to make it fair so you give him an open mic yes i mean you're gonna give him an open mic to just sit there and just roast us any way he can if if he can, I mean, he can try. I'm gonna give him a shot. Do we give us note? I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, give, I'll send some like text messages with like with some pointers. I'm like, if you want to roast somebody, the rules of engagement of how this works is you gotta roast somebody and make it good because anything you say, you leave on the table will be received back to you again. Even though we started it, we will finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. Oh my goodness, it just feels feel so good. How you doing, buddy? Oh, dude, I'm doing fantastic. I have um. How was your Mother's Day, motherfucker? Oh, it was great. Um, I had uh basically two errands to run and did spend some time with mom though. Um, you know, because my mom. Oh, how'd it go? It was fun. You know, we just mostly sat in the kitchen and talked. Um, my mom's very big on. Uh, she, she's not one of those moms that need, like, there's certain, like, she doesn't need, like, an extravagant gift on Mother's Day. Like, as she gets older, uh, her big thing is she just wants to spend time, uh, with, with me or, with me and Sonny. Doesn't have to be at the same uh, time. Just like, one, just that one time a yeah. year, right? Just to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah, just hang out. And here's the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't even have to be all day. Even if I, if I sat with my mom for an hour, which I did today, and talked with her in the kitchen, She'd be fine with just that. Like she, that's her big thing is time because she realizes that as you get older, you know, spending time with people is easier said than done as you get older. Because why? Because we're not teenagers anymore. We all got fucking responsibilities and shit. You know, we got, that's why usually when we record these podcasts, it's in the dead of night because you've got shit to do. I've got shit to do, but we love doing this podcast. So we find time within the day to sit down and do it you know so it's so my mom's just real big on spending time because even though yes i do live at home although that's about to change later this year um we what do you mean you're still gonna live at home technically yes but uh there's other changes being involved in that um my point is she we we don't ha even though we're all in the same house together we still rarely see each other because I'm always out doing some kind of work or gig. My dad is now in Florida. Um, Your mom's always in Hogwarts. So, yes. I mean, it's kind of hard to... And my and, bro and my brother's know, doing AI train. shit. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Hogwarts is a long ways away. Your dad's in Florida. Um, it was nice of him to come out for the weekend. Papa Boosh in the yes. house in the hizzy. Um, he, he just spontaneously um, showed up, and it was tough because, like I said, I had errands to run today. Like I had important shit I had to do. So he was trying to plan this like extravagant brunch. For the family and what do you what do you mean extravagant could you explain to me in detail what this extravagant brunch consistent of that means you guys getting up going to a restaurant eating brunch and coming back home or what that's was what extravagance about it because my dad was calling me about what about what i have to do tomorrow i said well i got some important things i have to do during the day so we're talking about wanting to schedule this brunch 
So I said, okay, what time are you planning on having this brunch? He said, uh, maybe 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Before, before, before breakfast, before lunch. I mean, like after breakfast, before lunch, that little time where brunch exists on a Sunday. Well, I don't go. Here's the thing, Zach. I, I don't go to brunch, okay? I'm a heterosexual. Whoa, so whoa, 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 whoa. You call me Zach, first and foremost. So <laughs> back off. Wait, I, what? what the fuck happened here? No, we didn't. He called you like, hold on, Zach. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not Zach. Did I say Zach? Did I really say that? I, I am so triggered right now. I, I dude, I didn't even realize I said that. My bad. Um, I said, hold on, oh hold on. So, do, do you see that red button? Do you see that red button on your fucking Twitch right now, or on your on your thing, whatever? Is that what you thought about me? Is that what happened? Yeah, something like that. I saw the, I saw, I just saw a bunch of red stuff. But anyway, um, my point saw is, red. You saw red. I saw that. I saw. I saw red. Yes. I'll forgive you. Just apologize profusely for the next half an hour, and I'll forgive you. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Starting Elvis. now. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay, we're good. Go yeah. ahead. Be with the starving pygmies in New Guinea. Amen. So, my so anyway, <laughs> my dad. We plans the they planned the the brunch thing, and I'm like, okay, because I had to go pick um a friend up at the airport, right? So I got to get my ass to the airport. I don't know what time the flight's coming in. I I got a little bit of an idea, but shit can still go down. And then then I knew I had to come home have that have the brunch, which I found out later was going to be at the house. My dad made it seem bigger than it actually was. My mom actually told me, if you got something you got to do, go take care of it, which I did. Then after that, I had to go jet to a film set. So I had a lot of shit to do today. So I did spend the time with my mom, which was the only important thing to me. You know, With all due respect to my dad, on Mother's Day, my focus on time is more on mom than dad. If it was fa when it's Father's Day, I spend more time with my dad during the day, but when it's Mother's Day, my mom's the only person I'm worried about getting my time. The rest of the family, it's like, sorry, I got nothing to tell you. So the fact that my mom got the amount of time that she wanted and she was happy about it was all that mattered to me. But um, I did have some, I did, although I did have one funny story if you want to hear this shit. It's great. Um, Go on. I said I had to pick up a friend from the airport. That friend was, of course, Marcus Buff Bagwell. <laughs> Marcus Alexander Buff Bagwell. Go yes. ahead. So... Saturday, I took him to the airport um, I, after, after we had the, the party at Dez, which we'll get to that in a minute. But um, after we had that, I basically crashed on the couch, got up, took Buff to the airport, uh, took care of all that, then got him. Then the next morning, I had to go pick him up. And he took a while to get to the gate that he needed to get at. I parked at this – they had this cell phone parking lot area where you can literally park your car and sit there. And then when it's time for you, when you, and then you can drive to the gate when it's time to drive to the gate. So Buff's taking a long time. Apparently, uh, here's what happened. And Buff almost gets in a fight in the airport. What? Buff almost knocked somebody out in the airport. This is why he was late. And here's what well, happened. Well, why? Because as Buff is getting off, Buff's get off, Buff gets off the plane. Now, for those of you who may, if you, if you haven't been following the news or not, may not know, Buff is recovering from a car accident. It was all over the news, he got in a serious accident a while back. He's still in recovery. He's getting surgery for it soon. So he can still get up and move around, but he needs a cr he has at least one crutch to help him out. So usually when you're in that situation at an airport, rather than make you walk around the crutch, they give you a wheelchair and someone's certified to wheel you around the airport. So Buff is sitting in this wheelchair, and they're rolling, and this and this lady, who for some reason was one of those people that. Elvis would describe as an HR nightmare. Um, she was one of those people that didn't like her job at all and had an attitude problem the whole time she was helping Buff. So 
She takes the wheelchair. She's wheeling him over. They're going down this hallway. Halfway down the hallway, Buff says, hey, can we stop? I need to use the bathroom. And Lady goes, all right. The Buff kind of does this answer. He goes, can I ask you a question? She goes, what? She goes, you guys work for tips? And she said, yeah. And he said, okay. Um, and then basically gets up, goes to the bathroom. Now, apparently the tips thing was his way of saying, you might want to stop being a bitch then. But he was doing it in a diplomatic way. So he goes to the bathroom. He comes back. Apparently now somebody else has to take over and help wheel Buff around the place. This lady leaves. Another lady shows up. Now, when Buff gets out of the chair, he uses that time to look around, and he's now confused. He looks over the new lady, and she says, uh, excuse me, ma'am, which way is baggage claim? And she goes, oh, it's over here. Apparently, this lady was wheeling him away from baggage claim to the other side of the airport. Yeah. Wow. The bitch didn't know where baggage claim was, and Buff is fucking pissed. So he now starts, at this point, he don't want the wheelchair no more. He's done with that. So he's walking as best he can down this hallway. As he's walking by a restaurant, he sees the lady standing outside the restaurant in the airport. So he makes a beeline to this girl, this lady, and says, and he goes, why the fuck did you wheel me way over here when baggage claim is that way? And the lady says, and now she's trying to, she's doing the thing where she's trying to cover her tracks now. So she doesn't look bad. She said, well, you said you wanted to use the bathroom. And Buff is screaming at her going, that's a fucking lie. Because I didn't tell you I had to go to the bathroom until I was halfway down the hallway. And Buff is screaming at this point. Now, as he's getting mad at this lady, all of a sudden he hears this guy. who There's a guy sitting in a chair right by where they're sitting. Like, you know how, like, I was at the airport, they have, like, the restaurant area, then there's, like, a table that's, like, not in the hallway, but on the other side of the barrier close to the hallway? Yeah. That's where the guy's sitting. And all of a sudden, Buff hears out of his out of his ear, he hears the guy say, what an asshole. We have just reached he, critical mass. Yeah, well, at the same time, like, he does have, like, nuclear heat, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh. everywhere he goes, oh. which is kind of perfect. Well, here's the thing. Apparently, this guy was the only one who didn't know who Buff Bagwell is because everybody else in the restaurant knew who he was. Because Buff immediately turned around and said, you talking to me, motherfucker? Because he's pissed, but he wanted to make sure who he was referring to before he started jumping in conclusions. So he turned around and he said, you talking to me, motherfucker? And the guy goes, yeah, you're kind yeah, man, you're being an asshole. He said, well, how about this asshole shoves that tomato down your fucking throat? Damn. He's pissed. So now this guy's getting in his face and he's basically daring him to try him. Like he literally is screaming now at this guy and he's like telling him, he's like, he's like, he's like, you want to try me motherfucker? And he doesn't get out of the chair. The guy basically backs down. He calls him a fucking pussy and the restaurant cheered. Wow. That was, that's way to make friends. I get to the airport. I mean, if Buck just took the attitude of just like giving people hugs, it'd be a different story. Like I talked about, if you had that story about <laughs> hugs at the airport, I think this would have been completely disassembled, but because you never had a conversation, this is the route it took, Benny. You're supposed to, like, influence positivity. And what did you do instead? You said nothing. You forgot because you were too fucking tired. Okay, first of all, fucking first... wait, okay, well, first of all, you do realize I'm not allowed in the airport, right? I'm, I'm... Uh, but no, you're right. You're right. You're not. But you were supposed to have that conversation before he made it to the airport. So, yes, this is solely falls on you. It's not Buff's fault. He's a hothead. That shit happens. You're supposed to defuse the situation and talk about have this conversation before. So that way, when he got to that point, oh, yeah. he'd be like, you know what? Oh, yeah, because I ought. Oh, yeah, because it, it would be natural to assume that that would happen. That 
somebody would piss off Buff Bagwell in an airport. Um. The man's flown for 32 years. This is the first time he's dealt with any fuckery of this magnitude. I just found it to be a hilarious story. Like, this dude, like, this dude was, Buff was going to kill this guy got, for getting involved in this argument. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. But I'm like. Fucker, I mean. I mean, shit, I mean. That's that's the way to go to the airport, but the guy. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know Buff's demeanor. I can't really tell what happened. I mean, he probably told you story one way, but who knows the way that person took it? Maybe they're just triggered or just just a shitty person. But I don't know. I mean, why was Buff in a wheelchair? Because he's recovering from surgery. Surgery. Like he was in accident. I mean, the man. The man literally was in a car accident. His leg was busted. Like pretty much most of his body was banged up in the accident. I'm sorry. Do we talk about this on the show before? Um, not really, because but it's been in the news. Like anybody that's listened okay, to the okay, news so or watched any, or if, if okay, you read your I don't watch sheets, the news at all. So you tell me, you tell me it's like I, with a wheelchair. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not sure why he's in a wheelchair, but I. What did this happen? Like a month ago? A couple days ago? What happened? This happened a few months back. He's been recovering for months from this uh, injury. Um, oh, see, this is like this is all new information to me and the listeners, Benny. Like you're talking like we know this stuff. We don't. But I'm saying like he doesn't normally use a wheelchair, but in an airport they use that to help you get around if you have a hard time walking. I mean, listen, I as much as the next person would love to just drive around in a in a in a wheelchair all day too. I think they were just taking some cheap shots at the guy because he was in a wheelchair and thought he wouldn't do anything. But less than they know. That it's fucking Buff Daddy himself. It's like, oh shit! It's fucking he, Buff Bagwell. Oh, he shit. has he has leaped out of a wheelchair before, completely unharmed. It would not would be imagine. the first time if he did that. Yeah, but I mean, we should make a little. We should make a little miniseries, The Adventures of Buff Bagwell, <laughs> Athletic <laughs> Airport Edition. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and and he's actually doing great. Like he actually um had a he did a show uh in in uh, Wisconsin over the weekend. That's why I was I was picking him from the airport. Uh, he was that's right because you dropped him off on like what Saturday morning. And Saturday morning, pick him up, today? picked him up today, and picked him up Sunday. Um, cool. Bas- and basically because um he's still in recovery, you know, you know promoters still book him for events. But he lets them know, hey, this is where I'm at physically. So they found other means to help with stuff. So basically, there was a uh, their main event was a world title match, and Buff was the guest referee. In a wheelchair? No, he was not in a wheelchair. With you, man. He, oh, okay, <laughs> not in a wheelchair. So he he's goes just, in, in he, the event. He's, he's fucking wheeling around, <laughs> trying to get the three. It takes time for him to get out of the chair and do the three. It's a two. He gets back in chair, rolls around for another five minutes. One, two, three. Oh no, I'm just picturing it. Pretty funny. It's like he's like, it takes him a while to make the three counts. He has to keep dropping down out of the wheelchair. That would be pretty awesome. Oh, that that would be that would be insane to watch a referee in a wheelchair making three counts. Oh my god. I know. If anybody could do it, it's fucking buff. I have faith in him. Yeah. So basically, what he at first he was like a heel um, referee. So basically, he did the thing, you know, the heel cheats. He looks away, pretends he doesn't see anything. And apparently, one of the baby faces, the guy's name was Cal something, and he had this T-shirt that said K, that was K O P, and it says Cal's our pal was the T-shirt. So Buff put the T-shirt on, and he put another T-shirt on over it. But I don't know if it was his shirt or the heel shirt or whatever. But he's but then as soon as the heel hits his finish and goes for the pin, Buff starts talking to this hot chick in the front row. Fun. And doesn't see the heel make the and doesn't see the heel getting pinned. So the heel gets mad, turns him around, goes, I gave you one fucking job, man. You just screwed up the match. You screwed up my pin. I had him beat. You're supposed to do your job. So Buff gets mad, kicks him in the balls. 
The dude rolls him up, the, the baby, he, and, and then Buff rips off the shirt to reveal the babyface's shirt. Crowd explodes, and then the babyface rolls him up, and Buff counts one, two, three. Classic that's finish, ep- and that's epic. I, I didn't have to see it to know that's epic. That That's the type of shit that always works. Well, man, that's pretty good. I mean, um, I wonder what other craziness to get into. Um, again, the adventures of Buff Bagwell. That's, that's, that's a story itself you could do a podcast every week about the adventures of what buff did in one entire fucking week oh yeah it's insane bro but it was but yeah so yeah so he had a great time and dropped him off and then we talked about a few other things before i left i helped him get you know helped him bring his bag into, into the house and everything and you know just we chatted for a bit and then i eventually got in the car and drove to see the family then drove to a film set took care of that business so Today was pretty much jam filled. What'd you do? What'd you do for Mother's Day? Um, so I got some stuff yesterday. I got like a Lee Maria card and some chocolate and a little stuffed animal that when you press the paw, it plays. I tried looking for like <clears throat> not just a stuffed doll. I was trying to find something that plays music. You know, when you press the paw and it does some kind of music. So I went through like five or six different stuffed dolls. I tried to find the most annoying one ever, and I did. I found it. It was a tiger that plays some kind of song about loving my mom or something. Um, so I found it was annoying one. Uh, got up. Um, let me see. I cut the grass. I uh, watered the, the lawn because I'm trying to get my grass greener and healthy and whatever. So yesterday we put in some new shrubs because my wife wanted some new ones because I destroyed the other ones. Um, let's just say I used a weed eater. Uh, the weed, you know, to keep the, the the liquid that kills like the fucking weeds. Accidentally sprayed. I accidentally I sprayed the the, the plants, thinking it wouldn't be damaged by it. And it wilted away, so they died. Or so yesterday we went to Home Depot and got some new bushes and some new flowers. The one she got to pick, so a shovel. Uh, got those bastards out. Put soil, new ones in, watered it down. Today I watered some more. I got the grass cut, and then I went to my cousin's house in Kennesaw. I met up with my aunt, my sister, my brother, some family. We had some old time remaining food. I drank a whole bunch, and um, yeah, just kind of hung out, you know, and got back around eight o'clock. I think that's the time I called you. I said, Vinny, we got to do a show. And you're like, Well, I'm in Buckhead. Um, I'm burying a couple hookers right now. I'm like, Vinny. We have a show to do. He's like, well, let me just bury this last one in Lake uh, Lake Lanier, and then I'll meet up with you later. I'm like, all right, cool. So you bury those hookers. Uh, we got on Discord, and how we're recording the episode, and that's how our day went. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so if you guys didn't know what Vinny did today, he said he was really he was a really busy man, and he barely had time to make it a brunch because he had to wipe all the blood from the dead hookers. Yeah, <laughs> he was burying. Lake Lanier. Unfortunately, they can't bury themselves, so I I had to fucking do it. Oh, they do a long time ago. Yeah, they're burying their faces deep into that pillow when you're paying for that fucking pooch. Ah, <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a couch cushion. It's a couch cushion. Yeah. Sometimes when you're out of the money, they're not your friends. Oh, oh, totally. Yep. When the money goes, so does the hose. I don't know why. I mean, you think they'd stick around and you know you know, be your best friend, but you know, it never happens. I don't know why it's like yeah. money's gone. They're not your friends anymore. So, some of them are, some of them are friendly, but most of them, nah. You try, you know, you try, you try and try and try. Oh, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, what's, what's, what's in the topics for what's going to happen next? My friend. Oh, I got, I got one. We definitely have to talk about, uh, Elvis. Are you familiar with MLW? 
Uh, sure. I've heard things and rumblings online, um, in the dirt sheets, but what's going on? Well, MLW apparently has some type of, I don't know if this is like a, I don't know what exactly this related show is, but it's part of, uh, MLW. They have a segment or a show or something called Azteca Underground, and their season finale, they revealed the man in charge of Azteca Underground, and it is none other than our old friend, Dario Cueto. I did read about that. Dario Cueto now exists again in the universe. And Jesus Christ, I could not be happier. Yes. Awesome. El Jefe. El Jefe. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, Lucha Underground had an authority figure called Dario Cueto, who was the most polarizing character in all of wrestling, even today still. I think Dario Cueto was the best. I like the part where he died and like he had his brother come in with the fucking eye patch. It was still him, obviously, but still, it's like, damn, man, like, you know, it could have been so much better. Um, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, he made his return to pro wrestling on the season finale of MLW Fusion. The former boss of Lucha Underground was revealed to be the mysterious El Jefe figure behind Azteca Underground. He was not referenced by name. Puerto was betrayed by actor. Luis Fernandez Gill served as the owner, promoter, and on-screen authority figure of Lucha Underground during its four-season run. Still haven't seen the fourth season, and I got to. Uh, El Jefe appeared in a video package that aired at the conclusion of the broadcast. He chastised a kidnapped Selena De La Renta for her recent actions, and he declared, I'm building a new temple. Following the blockbuster debut, yeah. of, Dar following the blockbuster debut of Dario Cueto, MLW heads to the offseason on a major cliffhanger. Fusion is now going on hiatus until the summer. MLW returns in July in front of a packed house at Philadelphia's 2300 Arena. MLW recently announced a partnership with Vice TV. They're airing recap shows Saturday at noon. You can watch this week's MLW Fusion on My their YouTube channel. And it includes the arrival of Dario Cueto. Um, I'll probably give it a glance because I fucking love, um, you know, Dario Cueto. He was such a polarizing figure. I'm not sure who what the other wrestlers. Um, I don't know who the other people are, so I really want to see what's going on. So yeah, I got to check out what's going on. Yeah, I mean, some people have said good and bad things about MLW over time, but either way, I'm just glad to see. I'm glad to see Dario Cueto back because to me, he is one of the best promoter authority figures in wrestling i love dario like that dude is amazing at what he does yeah it's so weird um that show was not i mean like if you knew about it you're good right but like if you don't know who he is you have to look back because like i mean it was just so polarizing i think he was just like the best ever and uh i, I miss him man i truly do i i fucking love the guy he was so fucking prolific um it was just a stupid role but he made it so fucking good that you cannot be mad at the character. I'm like, oh, this this guy's pretty fucking awesome. I love him. I mean, I I mean, who didn't, right? Absolutely. And in other news, we got Court Bauer comments on MLW WWE rumors. We got Go on. Court Bauer's MLW promotion is geared up for the start of a new era. As we mentioned before, El Jefe from Aztec Underground was revealed on Fusion this week, and a big show from the 2300 Arena has been scheduled for July. It has also been reported on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter recently that MLW and WWE were developing some sort of relationship. Bauer recently spoke to Forbes about those rumors. Bauer noted that his company's in talks with some interesting people, but any relationship would have to benefit both parties. A collaboration must have a long-term vision and a genuine commitment to entice to enriching both parties. Glad somebody in the wrestling business thinks that way. We're having some interesting conversations with some interesting people. 
And if there is a two-way relationship that feels like it's a win-win for the companies, the talent, and the fans, and has a long-term sustainability to it, we'll always examine it. You can't do one-sided. I don't kiss rings. I don't need the validation, Bauer continued. Uh, Bauer also spoke about MLW's new deal with Vice TV and how it helps both parties. Vice TV has found an audience in pro wrestling. They're the fastest-growing entertainment cable network in America. And in this day and age, to be growing in linear cable a lot and their success with the dark side of the ring and finding this audience. The pro wrestling audience is a very loyal audience. It always has been. That's why Turner Sports grew in the 70s because of the Atlanta Braves and pro wrestling. The reason USA Network found its way in the 80s was because of WWE. Pay-per-view thrives because of wrestling. This formula worked for them and in us they have a partner that's very true to their audience which is full of Gen Z and millennial viewers. Oh, God, help us all. MLW is looking to add some fresh faces to its roster before the show on July 10th. The promotion announced a draft of sorts that will take place in the coming weeks. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, I don't know anybody in the roster yet. I got to look it up and see what's going on. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, I know you haven't looked at the uh, MLW roster, but uh, do you think – that there's anybody WWE could send to MLW that would benefit WWE in any way or, or give them the publicity they need? Dude, I don't know. I don't know anybody with the roster. I mean, like, I keep up with other promotions, but MLW is one of those things that I don't really know about it unless something big happens. I mean, it's all one of those things that I actually be actively look out. Um, so when it comes to the talent they have, maybe something they could kind of groom for the future. But MLW is definitely going to profit from whatever WWE wants to throw their way. I just don't know what they want to, you know, in return. You know, it's kind of hard to kind of tell. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know anybody in the roster. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm talking about WWE's roster. Is there anybody from WWE that could... I don't know anything about MLW. I mean, it looks like it's going to Vice TV, which fucking awesome, because Vice TV is amazing. Um, I just... Well, I guess it's called Major League Wrestling. I have to look this up, so... Let me see who's on. I'm going to go to a website right now and see what they have. Um, yeah. I mean... So let's see, Fighters... Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of the wrestlers they got. I know they got this guy, uh, Alex Hammerstone, uh, Ijo de la Parca. La Parca? Yeah, it's La They call him La Parca, but it's La Parca. Uh, Jacob Fatu. Okay, um, I have no idea. El Dio de la Park. Dude, it's. I mean, this is all. This is all. Coden's there. Kevin Von Erich. Um, Colonel Parker from Wow from WCW days. Um. Yeah, this is all new. This is all new territory that I have no idea about. Yeah. The World Heavyweight Champion, Jacob Two, the Tag Team Champions, are La Park and Hio de La Park. Uh, your World Medi- Middleweight is Myron Reed. Yeah, I don't know any of these people. So I'm not saying they might be bad. I mean, it might be a great fucking thing. Yeah. I just don't know anything about it. Yeah, and they got, they yeah, Conan's also there. And they got, their broadcast team is Ray Flores, St. Lawrence. Alicia Tout and Rich Boschini. And then basically, yeah, so they got Park and El Hijo de la Park are the tag team champions. Jacob Fatu is the world champion. Myron Mead's the middleweight. And Alex Hammerstone is the national open weight. Those yeah, again, I don't know anything about MLW. I'm not going to sit there and pretend like I know because I'm going to say, like, oh, it's got and the people we know. It's like what? Um, you know, Colonel Parker, Conan, Von Eric, and that's about it. I mean, yeah. it's just not because of anything else. These are indie people. So unless you really follow like the indie scene and have your, you know, your finger on the pulse of what's going on, I don't know. If, I don't know who these people are, um, and not taking anything away from them, but just yeah, I don't know who these people are at all. Yeah, 
right. Well, in other news, we've got uh, Jordan Grace signs new multi-year deal with Impact Wrestling. Uh, Jordan Grace has signed new multi. Yeah, that's weird. I, huh? It's so, it's so weird. I thought that they would definitely be like. Um, I thought she would be AEW bound because she was like an all in the first pay per view for the Battle Royal, and she was pretty fucking amazing. And uh, I'm just kind of taken back that she hasn't like. I mean. Um, she's doing great things in Impact, which is awesome. But I thought she would have signed with AEW. But I guess the open door there they got going on, um, I guess it really doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, I mean, if, if she feels like she's doing well over there, stay there, man. That's awesome. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah, she said that um, She said that if she went to WWE, it would be like if she needed to be stacking some money for retirement. And I'm not going to lie. I like the fact that she has that attitude. because. For some people, that is how they should treat WWE. See it as a place to stack some money. Like, get yourself over as best you can, but use it as an opportunity to stack some money and build yourself a strong savings account or retirement account or whatever. That way, if you inevitably get released, you got a nest egg. Because even if you're on the bottom totem pole of WWE as a wrestler, you're making kick-ass money. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, nowadays, nowadays the wrestlers make a whole bunch of money, too. So, I mean, you can't really go wrong with it, you know? Exactly. And but saying, WWE is going to pay you more than any other company. Fact. AEW might be close second, but Vince has heavy pockets. So, he's, you're going to make, even the lowest guy on the totem pole is making kick-ass money. So, that, I'm saying, you got you to gotta, you gotta save it for what it is. Like, save it as a nest egg, budget your money on the road. Like, you know, there's Lord knows there's stories with legends who would can stretch a dollar out. So do that. And then when you leave or if you decide to leave, you got an nest egg, then you can go wherever you want and get the get an offer you can somewhere else. Like, but if she's enjoying herself in Impact Wrestling, then by all means, stay. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, because the thing is, like, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I mean. Not everybody has to end up in WWE. I mean, no, like I know, like most of us growing up, are like, oh, we ever become a wrestler, you want to join WWE. That's just <laughs> the way the business is, right? I mean, you know, eventually you want to make your way out there, but if you're making good money somewhere else, I mean, you don't have to sit there and rush to that big market. Because I mean, Jordan Grace, as great she is, I mean, like I'm not sure how they would book her if she was to go to you know WWE. I mean, she's kind of short, but she's stout. You know what I'm saying? She's got the that base, whatever prolific wrestler but at the same time i'm not sure that you know what's it called i'm not sure what vince would know how to do with her i mean vince has so many fantastic wrestlers he doesn't know what to do with he's got such a big roster it's like he signs these people only to keep them away i think jordan grace knows her place as of right now she doesn't have to run to wwe eventually wwe will become calling to her and she's doing great for himself right now i'm, I'm pretty sure within enough time they're gonna be start you know looking down her door and say hey yeah, we saw what you did. You know, you, you took some time. You really honed your skill with all this stuff, whatever. So, I mean, that's all it is, man. Um, all it takes is a little time. If you got, if you get really good at your craft, and your name starts creating a buzz. You become a hot commodity. They're gonna come knocking at your door. So, yeah, I think it's a smart move. Don't I mean, jump yeah. to WWE. Get your get yourself acclimated to figure out how the system works. I mean, things like I mean, she hasn't been in business that long. I'm not saying she's only been a year or two. But at the same time, like, you know, she's been there for a couple of years, but she's trying to get her, you know, trying to get her footing down. So she's not quite there. But at the same time, wrestling-wise, she'd go with the boys, which is freaking awesome. Yes. And uh, speaking of WWE, 
Uh, this is an interesting thing we're going to talk about here. Uh, no Chance, the Vince McMahon story film project is in the works. Really? Yes. An interesting casting call recently went out from Filmmaker Studio for a project based on the life of Vince McMahon. But it does not appear as though WWE has any involvement in the project. The full title of the project is No Chance, the Vince McMahon story and the rise of the new wrestling world order. It appears as though this will be a documentary. The casting is for the role of host. Jesus Christ, where the f please tell me there's no casting for this shit. If I'm not in this, that's bullshit. Uh, if what? If I'm not in this, this is bullshit. <laughs> if they're casting for this shit, like seriously, like open casting call, fucking give me this role. Jesus Christ. Give and it to fucking Pat McAfee, dude. Oh, <laughs> yes. I did that back. Pat McAfee. If, if it was the only per yeah, that'd be perfect. Uh, Pat McAfee would be before. He's like, what? It's time for SmackDown 1989. Good shit, pal. <laughs> and in the description of the pro this is the now this is the description they have for the project. It was his art of the hustle that led him to raging war on the top territories, AWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, WCCW Mid-South, and many others, and stunting their growth by raiding all of their top talent. It was his novel and bold approach to pitch the Super Bowl of wrestling shows, WrestleMania, <coughs> into the pay-per-view stratosphere that wrestling would forever be changed. Forever. Okay? This, this isn't a movie, but a review retrospective that will dig deep in learning not only about Vince McMahon's adversaries, but how he outsmarted them all in associating USA Pro Wrestling with the World Wrestling Federation. Learn more about other noteworthy promoters who dared try to oppose the young conqueror in which we will focus on each territory's noteworthy plays and embarrassing mistakes made on their wrestling shows. I think it should be interesting. I mean, like, Vinny, let's 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 put aside everything we feel about this man, about his current way he books things. Let's think about all the things that we want to think about when it comes to Mr. Um, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, I think that if he, if he was to ever die, it would be a straight-up most disappointing day I'd ever have. Vince McMahon, to all those wrestling fans, I'm, not, I'm talking about like this, not just casual wrestling fans, the people who listen to the product, who watch the product, the people who gave their time and grew up with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and the Ultimate Warrior, uh, from Stone Cold to The Rock, from you know Mick Foley to Undertaker, um, to Roman Reigns and John Cena. So with all these people on there... He's kind of been in, correct me if I'm wrong, he's kind of been like a second father to us, has he not? Most definitely. I mean... Because you got to think about it this way. That motherfucker was on TV talking to us. You know, giving us this product, always feeding us something. Um, I mean, he's trying to sell something, trying to shell something, whatever. But Vince McMahon has always been a, a person that, even if he had a father in the world, he's probably not the best example in the world, but at the same time, he was always there for you. Um, to talk to you, to... And the thing is, like, when you see him off TV, when you bring him back on, you get this, like, this feeling like, oh, my God, I wanted that person back. This man, on all accounts, is one of the greatest wrestling minds, if not the greatest wrestling mind in the world. Um, lately, it's been kind of shitty because, like, you know, he has his ideas about certain things. And the thing is, like, wrestling is one of those things where it, everything changes on a dime. He had his pulse on the fans for a long time, and then he lost it. But the thing is, the fact that he took so many gambles, to make WrestleMania, to go to territories, getting the top talent, making his product the best. I mean, I'm pretty sure the other promoters would have loved to do that. 
but they had like this whole respect thing about not rating other people's talents. This man's like, fuck it. I want to go all in. I want to make wrestling the best thing in the world. I want people think about wrestling, they think about WWE first. And you know what, though? After all these years, what do you think of wrestling? What do you think of any? WWE. I mean, that's and, just the way it is. Yeah. So Vince McMahon, in all honesty, whatever, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's done a whole bunch of shitty things and, done, you know, done a lot of people wrong. He's done a lot of good, though. But, you know, a lot of people focus on the bad things. And I, for one, I mean, I'm not happy the way he treated, you know, Cesaro and Ryan and CM Punk, but that's a whole different thing. But the thing is, the man is himself. I mean, the guy took balls to start what he did and still to continue on. And it's going to continue on for the foreseeable future. So, um, documentary, you know, every person's going to watch it. A person who's on AEW, MLW, Impact, Ring of Honor, New Japan, AAA. Everybody's watching because everybody knows Vince McMahon. If you're a wrestling fan or are a wrestler, you are going to watch it for two things, for the stories being either true or B, how to counteract and say, no, this is all fucking lies. But it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to watch it because everybody wants to have their own second opinion about what's going to happen. It's going to be the most watched thing ever. It is. Like, this is a documentary that everybody's going to want to see. And, of course, if – and here's the thing, though. If WWE is not involved in it, then it allows us to get – you know, as much of an accurate portrayal of Vince McMahon as possible. But here's the thing. If you're going to make a documentary on Vince, or if you're going to make a biopic, if you're going to make anything, you can't go too far to either side. If you sugarcoat what Vince did, it doesn't help his cause. If the whole thing's just a shit on him, that doesn't help the cause either. Vince has done a lot of good in the business. He's done a lot of bad in the business. But the fact is... He is the business. Like, this is the yeah, guy. Exactly. Who... And the thing is, like, you know, and, I, and I'm and I'm looking forward to whatever it comes out with. I mean, like, everybody's gonna have their their, their, their say when it comes to it, though. But like, I mean, this is, man, love him or hate him, he's he can't deny he is one of the best. I mean, if not the best promoter I've ever seen, because he is. You can't say any other way. This man, in all his greatness and all his shittiness, whatever. He'll go down in history as the greatest promoter ever. I mean, he's better than Barman Bailey Circus. Barman Bailey Circus is barely holding anything up, and yeah. Vince McMahon still keeps it going, man. I'm just saying, he, like, yeah. the, dude's, the dude's brilliant. He is the P.T. Barnum of our generation. He is. He truly is. And, and on that note, we're going to move on to the next thing here, and I got to talk about this. Backstage news on Daniel Bryan's free agency. It was recently revealed that Daniel Bryan's contract with WWE expired on Friday night after his match with Roman Reigns. What exactly might be going on with Bryan's free agency was recently addressed on Wrestle Observer Radio. According to comments made by, of course, Dave Meltzer, Daniel Bryan's situation has some similarities to Bryan Pillman, who had a very famous free agency stint in 1996, which we will be talking about when we get to the Bryan Pillman Dark Side of the Ring video. I will say I am in the process of researching and taking my notes on Brian Pillman. So I did hear about this, but we're not going to talk about it on the podcast because that's for the video, but it's going to be a hell of a story. I will just say that if anything tells you that they know they are lying to you, Meltzer said about Brian's situation, it's up in the air. I'm sure someday in 30 years I'll have more to say. I'll have Dark Side of the Ring flashbacks on this story already. This comment drew a confused reaction from co-host Brian Alvarez. Dark Side of the Ring, what does that have to do with anything, Alvarez asked. Because the Brian Pillman story is airing tomorrow night, Meltzer responded. What does that have to do with Brian Danielson? 
Alvarez continued to ask. Did he buy a Humvee? No, he didn't buy a Humvee, I don't think, Meltzer responded. Jesus Christ, Brian. Fucking use your head. Um, And then, of course, it talks about, in 1996, the famous thing. I'm not going to talk about it here. Meltzer continued to stint a big things happening soon in wrestling. There's some crazy things going on in wrestling, some really crazy things going on, but they haven't happened yet. I'm sure one of them will be when he shows up somewhere, which could be WWE, could be somewhere else. That's about it for now. Um, I just I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on a hiatus. I'm gonna put a tab in it because I don't know where he's gonna show up though. But I'll tell you what, the where he shows up though, man, it's gonna change the it's gonna change a lot of things. So I will have to see where it goes from. Um, I'm hoping for sure. You know me, he always shows up in AEW. I don't know where he's gonna go. I just know that wherever he goes to, it's gonna be a lot of fun and put a lot of eyes on places. Because um, let's just say that uh, I don't know. You know, Brian's a big draw, or his name's going to be Brian Danielson. Yeah. And when he comes back to wherever he comes to, it's going to be fucking amazing. Yeah, but I look at it like this. As far as I'm concerned, there's nothing left for him to do in WWE. There isn't. No. And, he, and, I, and, and his appearance at WrestleMania is still left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I'm actually glad he's gone. I mean, I hope he, if he shows up in AEW, that's great. Um, if he shows up anywhere else, that's fine. But I think WWE, it's time to close that chapter of his life. What else is left for him to do? It's it's getting I'll goddamn. They, I'll ridiculous. Say they're gonna try to bring him back. What would they? What would they try to do with him? I don't think he's gonna come back to WWE. There's yeah. no. You're right. There's no reason for him to come back. So why would he come back for? Like, what could he possibly do that he hasn't done? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And no, they gave him his WrestleMania main event that he did not earn. And they tried to sell it on the fact, well, this could be my last WrestleMania. And I don't give a fiddler's fuck if it was. But since you wanted to act like it's your last WrestleMania, I say make it his last WrestleMania. The only time I want to see this sorry motherfucker at a WrestleMania is when he's accepting his Hall of Fame speech. And he's in the tuxedo waving at everybody. So that's it. Other than that, I don't want to see him because I I I I believe like I said it. They they gave it. They, that was the wor- one of the worst business decisions I've ever seen WWE make, and I had never. That, that was the biggest slap in the face to Edge I'd ever seen. Like you had a perfect storyline right in front of you, and you dicked it up in in multiple ways. So. I wouldn't want to see Daniel Bryan do anything else. I would just see him as taking up space. He's so go somewhere else where you can be of value. Because in WWE, you have none. You've you've the, the well is dry. It's bone dry. Go somewhere else and fill it up. That's all I gotta say about that. And I get you. And on that note, we're gonna talk about this because. I haven't read the article, but I saw the headline. was like, this has to come into play. Sammy Guevara on having the it factor and the impact controversy. <coughs> Sammy Guevara goes, went to war on AEW Dynamite. He competed in the most violent match of his career when the Inner Circle battled the Pinnacle in the first ever Blood and Guts match, which we talked about on the AEW Blood and Guts recap, which you can check out here on the Boochcast. Uh, Guevara spoke with Steve... Mulehausen, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, for Dazen this week to hype the event. He discussed a wide range of topics, including where he's at in his career and the controversy surrounding his next appearance 
for Impact Wrestling. He says, room to grow. Sammy Guevara is part of a young crop of wrestlers in AEW for whom the sky's the limit. When I was about the people saying he's got the it factor, the 27-year-old said he's recently, he's ready to show people what he's capable of. I definitely think everybody has room to grow, he began. Anyone who says, like, I'm the man right now, they're lying. Or they're just full of themselves. I definitely think I'm it. I definitely think I am it factor. If you want ratings, I can give it to you all. It's all come in time. It'll all come in time. I feel like a lot of us young people as performers, it's just the waiting game is the hard part. But you got to be patient. I look forward to showing everybody. Sammy Guevara was supposed to appear at Impact Wrestling earlier this year as part of the partnership with AEW, but it wasn't meant to be. It was reported that Guevara showed up to Impact ready to perform, but decided against it after hearing what they had booked for him. Guevara says the record straight and claims the dirt sheets blew things way out of proportion. Basically, some stuff was presented to me. I didn't feel like it worked for me and for what Sammy Guevara is, so I declined that. This then, they declined to want to use me or whatnot. Then all of a sudden, it wound up on the dirt sheets and it blew up. I wish you could have stayed close to the vest. I felt like it wasn't necessary for any of this to become public knowledge because it was done behind doors. So why are we opening the doors for everyone to see? But it is what it is. You can change what we you can't change what we can't change. I wish Impact nothing but the best. I see that. Um, I don't know. Like Sammy G is kind of a weird situation. He had so be mixed up with a common me with Sasha. Um, you know, I think he's trying to do what's best for his character, I guess, at the time, but. I don't know, man. Sammy G is kind of like he's my favorite for a while, and he kind of fell off, and he just seems like he always gives himself these little quarrels and little things. I'm not sure. You just can't seem to get him get out of his own fucking way. Sometimes it seems like you know. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't know what's wrong with the kid. He, at the end of the day, he's a kid. He's 27. You know, it's you know the, he he's behaving the way little kids behave, and you know he. That's why he needs somebody to pull him to the side and let him know when he's fucking up. Unfortunately, he's in a company where very few people are capable of doing that. So that that's a disadvantage to him. But in the ring, he's always been incredible. That's been the thing that has helped him out a lot. And he's got some type of grasp on what he's doing. But, you know, he didn't feel comfortable with a gimmick and he turned with, with something they wanted to do and they turned it down. And I'm like, well... I have mixed feelings about that because on the one hand, I get what he's saying. You know, if he's not comfortable with something, he doesn't want to do it. But at the same time, you're going there as part of a partnership with the other with the other company. They're trying to merge and trade talent. So when you're going there, you're representing AEW. So unless you got a damn good reason for why you're declining what they're doing, declining what they're doing can be bad business and hurt the partnership. So I'd like to know what it was they pitched to him that he felt compelled to turn down and potentially hurt this partnership that's going on. Okay. I mean, so Sammy Guevara, um, I got his old, um, talk about his act before he passed. Um, I don't know, man. He's always been my favorite person. And uh, after the last show, they will build himself up again. Sammy G has been prevalent in the ring, whatever. The young kid. That's all he is. Or his past and his hands meet. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Hopefully he can uh, get his shit together. But uh, two people who we definitely know have their shit together. And this is uh, another interesting article here. And we'll do this before we get to the uh, 
We can either get to the uh, serious topics or wrap up the show, however we decide to do this. But we got here, MJF says, Britt Baker in the pinnacle makes complete sense. Factions are a big part of AEW. MJF and the Pinnacle are one of the most talked about factions on the roster. Tonight, they went head-to-head with the Inner Circle in a blood and guts match. Yet in speaking during an interview with Steel Chair, MJF admitted that he was looking beyond dismantling the Inner Circle and would be open to further expanding the Pinnacle. MJF admitted that the Pinnacle have a goal in AEW, and that is to hold every title belt that would naturally include the women's belt. When pressed on this, MJF said that his group would consider opening their doors to a female star, joining their ranks. Rumors around that Britt Baker is set to join the Pinnacle at some point in the future, putting both her and MJF together as has the potential for magic. They are both the ultimate heels at the top of their game. Ironically, both call themselves the face of their respective divisions. As long as a power struggle could be avoided, Britt joining the Pinnacle would be a fantastic move. However, MJF was coy when discussing the matter, remaining in steadfast character as he does so well. I will say this about Brittany. She is clearly not just the face of the women's division in AEW. But at this point, I think it's fair to say she's the face of women's wrestling as a whole. Just like I feel it's fair to say that I'm the face of men's professional wrestling as a whole. I get why people keep bringing this up. It makes complete sense. This is a clear non-rejection of the motion, which could very easily be read as a cryptic admission that MJF has an appointment with the doctor. Oh, wow. Uh, having that kind of personality is, yeah. Oh, yeah, it'd be totally awesome. Like, because I, I know at some point in a faction, especially if you want to hold all the gold, you got to have a female at some point. I know there was talk of potentially bringing a female into the inner circle, but that hadn't happened, so... If you're going to bring a woman into the pinnacle, Britt Baker is perfect, not just because she's a top heel, but because she is such an arrogant bitch that her and MJF are like soulmates to me. No offense, Adam Cole. I get it. <laughs> absolutely. No, I think yeah, there would be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the uh, question is, we'll see what happens. We know... Uh, you know, Britt Baker has uh, Sheeta at double or nothing, so we'll see if um, after she wins this match, if the Pinnacle gives an invitation. That's always a possibility. And so uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, will do it for the wrestling portion of the show. But we do have some other uh, some good topics here we can jump into. And um, one thing I want to put here is, I think this might be an interesting topic here. It says, 10 old school parenting techniques... We should bring back today. I thought it was an interesting article here. Um, parenting is vastly different than it was 30 plus years ago. We have come a long way in parenting philosophies, including health and safety. Raising children is a completely different game than it was back then, but that doesn't mean we can't talk, take some of the, our parents' expertise, and put it into practice. Vintage parenting might just be what this generation needs. Here are 10 things our parents did that parents today should bring back. Number one. Put each other first. Back when our parents were young, it wasn't uncommon for marriage to be the most important relationship in the family. But somewhere in the last 30 plus years, parents have started to treat their children as the center of the universe. Keeping your spouse a priority can be hard, but it's essential to have a healthy and happy family. When my children, and by children, I mean Becky Squire, that person who wrote this article, interrupt me while I'm talking to my husband, I tell them they have to wait unless it's an emergency. Children need to learn that everything does not revolve around them. Number two, made, ki- made kids play outside. Most of, my, most of my childhood, 
our memories are playing outside using my imagination. My friends and I would be outside as soon as we got home from school. We would come in for dinner and then go back out until dark. I enjoyed watching TV here and there, but we always preferred to be outside. According to the CDC, kids ages 8 to 18 spend an average of 7.5 hours every day in front of a screen for entertainment. That does not include homework or educational purposes. On the flip side, children spend a whopping 4 to 7 minutes a day engaged in unrestricted outdoor play on average. Kids don't need a sports court or a swimming pool to be entertained outside. All they need is their imagination. Number three, trusted their children. I'm sure most of us, especially if you're old like me, can remember spending most of our free time riding bikes with our friends miles away from home. Building snow forts for hours, staying out until dark, all without our parents knowing exactly where we were. You may call this free-range parenting or even think it's dangerous. The truth is, children are twice as likely to die in a plane crash than get kidnapped by a stranger. Next, didn't push academics. Before 1980, the main focus of the early elementary years was creativity and social skills. Children did not know how to read upon entering kindergarten, and many didn't even know their alphabet. They were taught to be respectful, to share, and to make friends. Culturally, our children are obligated to compete, academic, to compete academically at these early ages, with, which magnifies, if not causes anxiety and stress in our children. Uh, the next one, taught manners. I am always amazed at the lack of manners I see in many children and teens today. And again, when I say I or my, I'm referring to Becky, not myself. Uh, my husband and I spent a week cooking for 300 teens a few years ago. We would spend the entire day cooking, doing dishes, and literally serving food onto their empty plates for them. We were shocked at the amount of thank yous we received. Two out of 300. That's a simple example. I can make lists of others who demand snacks or toys when they play at my house or that take without asking, etc. It is refreshing when I come across those who have been taught well. Next. Ate dinner as a family. I could write an entire article about this subject. Oh, wait, I did. That's because it is so important and so easily overlooked. Parents today tend to sacrifice family dinners for extracurricular activities, and it is damaging. Children who participate in regular family meals are less likely to have anxiety and depression. They have less delinquency, greater academic achievement, and improved psychological well-being. Don't schedule meals around your activities. Schedule activities around mealtime. Next on the list, made their kids do chores. When I was growing up, every Saturday was reserved for doing chores. We couldn't play with friends or any other activities until we had cleaned our bedrooms and done a few other of our assigned chores. I cleaned bathrooms, vacuumed, dusted, mopped, and more. Today, children are asked to take on only the most trivial of responsibilities. You might be surprised at how much your kids are capable of. Next on the list, disciplined each other's kids. What would you do if your child's friend threw a tantrum or even hit your child? Ask them nicely if they, if they would like to stop. Would we even dare bring it up to their parent? With our parents, there was an unspoken rule that if another child acted out, they would discipline them the same way as their own kids. Next, held birthday parties at home. The birthday parties our parents would throw included cake, ice cream, and pin the tail on the donkey. They didn't even they didn't give every guest a basket filled with personalized party favors. They didn't rent out the local trampoline park or hire a professional photographer or caterer. Yet we still had fun. It was a guilt-free party zone. And finally, keep things simple. The best part of the good old days was how simple it was. As kids, we weren't rushed from doctor to soccer to piano. Uh, our dance or dance. Our parents didn't take us to Disneyland every summer or buy each child their own tablets. We got bored, we used our imaginations, and we thrived in a simple life. Our children end up fine even better than we did. They don't need to be handed everything on a silver platter. They don't need to be the best at everything or even at one thing. 
It's okay if they fall and get hurt or get their heart broken. It's how they learn and grow, and it will teach them compassion and kindness and love. If I get food, nothing. I do everything for her. She has no chores. Hangs around for nothing. I am preparing her for to be a trophy wife is what I'm doing. <laughs> Wow, that's a hell of a contest to win. Oh, I'm not going to win anything, nor is she. <laughs> I don't know. How, how do, well, I don't know. Well, Elvis, since out of, out of the two of us, you're the one who's actually a parent. So what do you think about what Becky had to say? I mean, it's her belief. I mean, it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, it's her ideas of what it could be. But like anything else with the world, everything changes. Um, I grew up with love that she did, which I understand, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. I mean, I remember a lot of stuff that she was talking about. I hated it. It built character to this day. So um, my, parenting, my parenting skills and the way I treat my daughter, I do think it's a lot different from her. Now, she could say, wouldn't it be great if we had this and we had that, we had this, we had that. That's fine. It's like nice little life lessons. Makes you want to think about it, but at the same time, the things are kind of great because gives you kind of character and different insights to do things, which is great. It's fine, but it's worked for everybody. I think it's a nice little puff piece, kind of get people thinking about maybe I should push my kid or I should do that. You know, that thing with like education and physical stuff, whatever. I mean, it makes sense, but it's worked for everybody, you know. I mean, so you can't sit there and have one solution, one size fits all. When it comes to these things, you wish, but it's not going to be like that. You know, you wish it would be, but it's not. So, exactly. Um, I, exactly. Think, I think it's an. I think it's a nice what if, but it's never going. to, I mean, you can never have one system that works, and it's like, okay, this is the way it works. It's not. Um, it might work for you and for your kid and your upbringing, but I mean, you and I, the way you grew up, I grew up way different. We have a lot of things in common, but your values and my values are a little different. It won't be the same. You know. Absolutely. And, you know, some of these, I, I, my, I will say, like, my parents did the majority of these. I did the majority of these. Some of these do make sense. But at the same time, there are some old school parenting techniques that are great, but there are some that are just not going to make a comeback. Like, like, for example, I do believe that if parents are talking and the kid interrupts, the parent, the kid should be told to shut up. I like the sound of that. Um, making kids play outside, it's easier said than done, you know, because, yeah, you go outside, you have an imagination. First of all, very few kids today even know what to do with their imagination. Sorry, but they don't. And also, we it, when you went outside, you didn't just use your imagination, you were also playing with your friends, so y'all kind of got together and decided what the fuck you were going to do. So, it's not just an imagination, it was like group planning, and... You know, going outside is fun, but it's not as fun as it used to be. Because, A, there's very few outdoor things you can do. Because almost everything is either gated or restricted or whatever. And second of all, you know, like, yeah, you know, they're less likely to get kidnapped than anything else. But in some places, it can still fucking happen. And I know this because my goddamn Amber Alert goes off a fuck ton. And... I still don't know why it goes off, especially when every time it does go off, 
It's always in a whole other a whole other part of the state that I'm nowhere near. In a car that I am doubt I'm gonna see on the highway. And I'm not Batman, so it's not like I almost spring into action and be able to find this fucking person. So it's we're goddamn ridiculous, but you know, the pushing the not pushing academics, I do like the sound of that. Um, you know, te- teaching life lessons is just as important as an education. And, you know, keeping things simple, I like the sound of that. The disciplining each other's kids, that's gonna be a felony pretty much. Like, I know. That's that's probably the one I disagree with the most. I am a firm believer that if I have a kid, I'm the only one that gets to hit him. That's just the truth. If if somebody else smacks my kid, I'm beating the shit out of the other person. Like that, I don't play that. Uh, that yeah, someone I'm, touches my fucking kid. Like I remember um, a couple weeks ago, I had Zoe at my place. We went roller rink to the roller rink. Um, pretty good on skates, but uh, most of the time we went, they had like it looks like um, it was like a PVC pipe with rollers on it, so she falls out or whatever. Has two when she has but you know she falls down, but she's better. She and it's, you know. You've been to a roller rink back in the day. Roller rink assholes. They're like you know go really fast and they do the whole roller and so whatever. They're all like in, you know they probably practice at home for a while. So they the Friday side roller like sport. So I was the guys like hey well, these kids are going pretty fast. You might want to stick out of the blue line. You guys are going slow. I'm like okay cool whatever. So out there, fucker came like. Away from my king Zoe, so the whole time I'm just I just love getting closer and closer. So this one time he got too close, and I stuck my elbow out, and uh, he got he got too fucking close to me. He got too close to fucking Zoe. He wanted to sit there and like inch it out, whatever. I fucking stuck my elbow out, got pushed over to the side. He just looked at me. I looked at him. And I'm like, I will fucking destroy your fucking life. I will beat your ass. I'll take it off within seconds and beat you to the inch of your life. Coming off fast and fucking out in front of like butts. Fucking roller skating. Pushing the first time, looked at me. I locked eyes with him. Kept rolling around. Every time it stopped and turned around, I was just ready to fucking deck him. And he saw me do it once. He turned around and kept going. Second time, I stopped again. I was ready to fucking jump, and he just fucking like skipped over two lanes. Let's just say after that though, he did not fucking stop. I have no problem. Motherfucker, full blast. He just stopping and. Laying my fucking fist fucking throat. Like, I would fucking decimate you, kid. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to my, you don't get close to me. Touch my fucking kid. I'm fucking there. There's a hope there's someone there to pull, pull you off. Because I will fucking, I will, I will shit you. I will sterilize you. And by God, you're about to you fucking hand my fucking daughter. I will destroy you something. <laughs> my eyes will, I will up. I'll beat you. I'll make sure. That, that fucking up your ass, your legs will be fucking working. And guess what? That motherfucker's paying for skates that he's taking home. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, you don't fuck with someone. You don't. Nope. This motherfucker tries to sit there and, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm cool. Roller skate really fast. You know what? Though? I used to roller skate really fast too, and I was like fucking 16. I need you to make a name to yourself in a roller ring thing. Remember, it's like, just, you're, you're going fast. We get it, you're fast. You do the whole roller skate. I did that when I was a kid too. It was really cool. You grow up and you pussy. It's something else different, you know? But at the same time, like, you know, I had too fucking close and I gave you the look. And you the look, right? When someone looks at you, take it the fuck out of here. 
the guy gives a look back like, oh, and I'm like, oh, I hope. And he gave him that first fucking elbow knot. And the thing, like, it was like he was going, oh, he was going pretty fast. So it's not going that fast. You throw an elbow to the fucking shoulder, and the guy's like, fuck. I'm like, the fucker. Do it one more time. It's kind of dark in here. But again, I dare you. It's always like skating. She's oblivious to the whole thing. <laughs> From time to time, she said he just, he'd sit there just to watch me just stop out of nowhere. She's like, no, you stop. I'm like, don't worry about it. Got this one. <laughs> that is that is that is a hell of a story, bro. Like that yeah, is. I'm sorry, the punk ass kids out there at the fucking roller rink. I get it. You want to be fast, okay? Rest of them doing dances, like these little fucking like little high school pussy. I get it. It's the only game you got. You can't you can't be you can't be in athletics. You can't be a football player, baseball player. So if the resort to your fucking roller skates, I get it. You know, at the bottom of the barrel. Everybody goes roller skating for high school. Listen, I did it too. It was fun. I picked up a lot of pussy back then, you know, because it's an easy way to go. But why you gonna skate so fast and so close? No one's fucking. You might think it's funny. My parent whoops your fucking monkey ass. That's when it's not funny. It's like I mean, I wish a motherfucker would. I would. He came pretty close. I'm like, dude, I'm just ready to die. I'll just wait, <laughs> motherfucker. Like you know, you give him a look at first, then it happens at first. I'm like, okay. You didn't take that. You didn't heed my warning. I was like, all right, cool. He tries to sit there with his other friends. He's going to go like, you know, two or three people at the same time. Like, I will not call you, motherfucker. No. You guys are going to go on TikTok and complain and cry about it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Although, I don't know if TikTok allows them enough time to complain, though. I mean, because usually when, usually when they're complaining, that takes forever. That's okay. I'll give someone to cry about. <laughs> like, like fucking beat my ass. I was like, just beat from everything I got. I got a free roller skate. Oh my god! Every time I roll it, the lights light up. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing is, I look at anyone. I don't get it. Oh boy! Anyway. I I can only imagine what to do next. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen. Now you know what happens when you mess with Elvis's little princess. And speaking of princesses, we got something interesting going on here. Um, this is another... We, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about a lot of crazy shit here on the Boochcast, but this one, this is a conversation that has not come up a lot on this show, but it has come up a lot on the internet. So we're going to address this shit. Um, Disney's problematic princess. Why Snow White is forever being canceled. Apparently, it is according to a gentleman by the name of Alex Diggins, who wrote this crazy-ass article. So here's what he had to say. It's a tale as old as Twitter. Oh, dear God. It's so terrible. Disney, Disneyland's new Snow White ride, which reopened this month after a year of COVID shutdown, faces criticism for its... Non-consensual kiss between Snow White and Prince Charming. Oh, fuck. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Snow White's Enchanted Wish is a reimagining of Snow White's Scary Adventures, one of the park's inaugural rides when it opened in 1955. And it retains many elements of the original. Visitors clunk along in mine carts in front of scenes from the film, recreated with jazzy LED projections, lasers, and herky-jerky animatronics. But this faithfulness to Walt Disney's 1938 film is precisely the problem. According to theme park reviewers Julie Tremaine 
and Caddy Dowd. And this just screams woke libtard. Oh God, these 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 names are horrible. Uh, if, if you you meet somebody that's that has any of those kind of names, like fucking run at this point. The attraction preserves much of the charm of what was originally opened. They wrote on SF Gate, but it also adds in the movie's biggest problem. They continued. Haven't we already agreed that consent in early Disney movies is a major issue? Why not reimagine ending in keeping with the spirit of the movie and Snow White's place in the Disney canon? But that avoids this problem. Why not indeed? Disneyland, after all, has proved a dab hand at hasty retrofits. I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. As Tremaine and Dow point out, another popular ride, Splash Mountain, has been overhauled because of its problematic southern stereotypes. And the Jungle Cruise is still closed, and the Disney promised to remove the Trader Sam character, a jolly dealer in shrunken heads, and its ape-like depictions of indigenous people. Remakes of Disney's early princess films have tracked perilously close to cancellation, too. In a piece for Vox, Emily Vanderwerf slammed Kenneth Braun's 2015 adaptation of Cinderella with Lily James as the put-upon sibling. Let's face it, there are a ton of ways to make the fairy tale Cinderella into a modernist feminist anthem, she wrote. But even with those cavits, Disney's new remake is somehow more regressive than the studio's 1950 animated version. I swear to God they're doing this shit. It's going to get worse. The 2017 take on Beauty and the Beast, meanwhile, with Emma Watson as Belle faced ire for its much ballyhooed feminist reimagining of the tale, which wasn't, in fact, so progressive. It smacks of teeny 1990s inconsistency, wrote Zoe Williams in The Guardian. It rebelliously rejects frilly conformity one minute and wallows in it the next. It's not even the first time Snow White has been Me Too'd. In 2017, Professor Kazoo Muda, a sociologist at Osaka University, wrote a widely shared blog post in which she drew on a news story about a man kissing a sleeping woman in the subway and lay in a Disney Snow White for normalizing unconscious sexual activity. Kissing a woman without confirmation or consent can be read as sexual violence, she read, rather than the romantic dream story that it is widely believed. It is rape. Yet, the story of Snow White is more tangled and troublesome than just one kiss. It begins a long time ago and far, far away, in 1786 to be precise. In the small town of Hanu, where there lived two brothers, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. The Grimms grew up in a prosperous middle-class family, but with their father's death in 1796, they were forced to throw themselves on a network of aristocrats for patronage and support. Fortunately, the brothers had a reputation as stellar scholars at the University of Marburg. While they had initially enrolled to study law, they fell under the influence of a historian, Frederick von Savini, who was fascinated by the German language and its indigenous narratives. So alongside other enthusiasts such as Clemens Brentano and Johann Gottfried Herder, Savini tasked the brothers with gathering hand-me-down stories from the nearby countryside. At the time, Germany was not even a glimmer in Otto von Bismarck's eye. In fact, Bismarck himself was born the three years after the first volume of the Grimm's stories was published. Instead, he was a hodgepodge of principalities, bisphorics, and bite-sized fiefdoms. 
However, a rave of nationalist enthusiasm was sweeping Europe, and with it, the notion that a national identity could be patched together from the offcuts of stories rooted in the land, the lore of the common people, Volk the Folk. In Britain, Wordsworth and Coleridge released their 1790 lyrical ballads, revisionings of old travelers' tunes, while back in Hesse Cassel, the Brothers Grimm published the first results of their tale truffling. The 1812 edition of Kinder und Children and Household Tales. It was very different, though, from the fairy tales we would recognize now. Largely a scholarly exercise, it bristled with footnotes and fortifications of philology. It was also a bit of con, though the Grimms had a wide variety of informants, hunting, coaching, inns, wells, pilgrimage sites, and other hubs for story dealing. They also used written sources, including newspapers. In fact, one of the most notable stories, The Juniper Tree, was written down for them by the painter, Philip Otto Runge, a family friend. The household tales were literary stories dressed up as salt-of-the-earth oral yarns. And they were far from family-friendly. The Grimm's tales were thick with incest, cannibalism, sexual violence, murder, and necrophilia. In their Cinderella, for instance, the Wicked Sisters hacked their toes off to fit into the pearly slippers. And as with Disney's film, Cinderella is aided by a helpful flock of pigeons. But in the tales, these feathered friends avenge her mistreatment by pecking out the eyes of their sisters, of the sisters. The Grimm's came under some fire because of the cannibalism and, infant and infanticide the general bloodthirstiness of the tales, says Professor Marina Warner, an expert in fairy tales. But the symbolic language of stories like Snow White imprints on our minds, the red apple, the glass coffin, the poison comb. The brothers did not invent the Snow White story. Variations of the tale have been traced as far afield as Scandinavia and Turkey. And most are deeply problematic from a modern perspective. They are clear echoes of the story and legend of Chinon, as told in Ovid's Metamorphosis. In that version, Chinon, snow in Latin, is the most beautiful woman in the land, but her beauty makes her a target for the gods Hermes and Apollo. First, Hermes puts her to sleep with a touch of the caduceus and then rapes her. Next, Apollo approaches her disguised as a crone and again rapes her. Damn. In a Sicilian telling, meanwhile, Snow White is not the daughter of a king, but an innkeeper, and she escapes her wicked mother to live with a band of robbers. They, too, assault her. Damn. In fact, most variations hold one thing in common. Enlightened sex education, they ain't. The Grimm's take is predictably, well, grim. In their version, it is Snow White's mother, not stepmother, who goes jealous of her daughter's beauty. After Snow White flees, she orders a hunter to bring back her heart as a token. But the hunter cannot bring himself to kill Snow White, so instead he brings the mother a boar's heart, which she, believing it to be her daughter's, greedily consumes. Damn, that's disgusting. Snow White, too, is not the innocent inmate of nature she becomes in Disney film. Instead, she breaks into the dwarves' cottage, steals their food, and trashes their beds, trying to squeeze herself into them. Well, what a modern-day Goldilocks. Snow White's mother then tries to murder her three times. First, she dresses as a peddler woman and entices Snow White to try on a brightly colored corset, which she yanks tightly to suffocate her. When that fails, she attempts to poison her with a venomous comb, but finally, as in the film, she succeeds in poisoning Snow White with a spiked apple. But 
Here, the story branches from Disney's version. When a prince does fall in love with Snow White, he doesn't take her with a kiss. Instead, he packs her off, glass coffin and all, to his castle. There, because he cannot bear to part with his comatose love, he has his servants drag her around after him. Eventually, one trips, drops the coffin, and dislodges the chunk of poisoned apple, waking Snow White. In some versions, servants get fed up and boots the coffin with the same result. The end? Not quite. The queen must still be bumped off, so she is summarily dispatched when red-hot shoes are fastened to her feet and forced to dance until she dies. What kind of hocus-pocus bullshit is that? Even contemporary audiences thought this was a bit strong. The Brothers Grimm revised their stories throughout their lives, including 17 subsequent versions of their tales. Each edition abraded away more and more of their gritty specificity. Place names were scrubbed, the sexual violence was dialed down, and child-friendly illustrations repackaged them for younger readers. This delusion continued as the tales were translated. George Cruikshank, a notable illustrator, provided the front piece for the fret for the first British edition in 1823. It showed eager children crowded around a twinkly old man, delighting them with a story which mingled horror and wonder. This transition went hand-in-hand hand with the Victorian cult of childhood, the notion that child children were not simply little adults, but individuals with distinct tastes, enchantments, and desires. The Grimm's Tales became models of subsequent collections of fairy tales, says Dr. Juliet Wood, lecturer at Cardiff University and member of the Folklore Society. They accommodated them to the value of the middle classes, especially the importance placed on the family. Disney's film triumphantly cemented this cozy vision. It was a box office smash and a critical darling. Walt and the Dwarves fronted Time Magazine at the 1939 Academy Awards. Shirley Temple presented them with a special Oscar, one full-size statuette, and seven mini ones. Even Burlo Brett was a fan. Yet the kiss isn't the diciest element of the film. Disney animators, for instance, modeled the unsullied peachiness of Snow White after the hell-raising actor and former chorus girl, Joan Crawford. And the naming of the dwarves was outsourced by the entire company. Along the titles, among the titles of contention were Deefy, Dizzy, Hickey, Baldy, Wheezy, and Shorty. In this light, the kiss is a red herring, argues Wood, because there are tale because the, these tales are so formalized. Once you've established the pattern of fairy tale, it's easy to turn them upside down and swap out elements. But you can always recognize the underlying story. Young audiences often deal with them better than adults can because they know horrific things are. They come right. What Warner agrees. The whole history of fairy tale entertainment is one of remodeling. We can enjoy the representation of things like the stepmother's comeuppance, but that doesn't mean we're complicit in it. Otherwise, we may as well give up on art. Or indeed on the notion that there is one canonical Snow White story which can be fixed. There are, after all, 32 other film adaptations alongside Disney's. These include a raucous German comedy, Seven Dwarfs, Men Alone in a Wood, a longorious Catalan silent art house effort called Blankavines, a rackety Terry Gilliam directed gothic horror. What the fuck kind of titles are these? Snow White, A Tale of Terror, and naturally a porno, Snow White and the Seven Perverts. Well, that's to be expected. And that's not counting Hollywood's more mainstream reworkings such as Angelina Jolie's Maleficent and the Huntsman series. The Snow White story then endures because it is memorable and also indefinitely fixable. It bends to accommodate the concerns of each storyteller and their times, but of course this means that a few decades down the line it is likely to get caught out with when those priorities change. That said, given Disney's eagerness to trip typics their past, I wouldn't bet on a happily ever after for Prince Charming and his charmless kiss. Jesus Christ, that was long. Um, wow. So 
It took a girl that was this story that was written many, 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 many years ago. She was triggered because she was kissed when she was asleep, and she was the great depth and definition about why it's wrong. Um, pieces are just that they were written in the period they were done. And the relay we hear on the stories, it's not even the right one because the grim story is a lot darker. So, could be formal said again. Is that the hill you want to die on? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was? I mean, like, I feel like I can never get that sense back in my life. <laughs> um, is that the, is that the hill you want to die on? She not want to be kissed? I mean, really? She woke up. And she was really fine with it. Like she woke up, she was like, "Oh, handsome guy." It's like. You're passed out, right? Like, you're in a coma. Like, right now, we're doing a podcast, lightning strikes, your computer, and boof, you're, boof, you're in a coma, right? You're dreaming of doing a podcast in your head, or you're dreaming of whatever. Yeah. You're in a coma for five years. Wake up, have some, some girl with big old titties, fucking beautiful face, just sitting there by your side, and you wake up, and you're like, oh boy, oh boy. All of a sudden, you wake up, and he's giving you a head. Wake up, you're like, what the fuck? And she's like, what the fuck? Look at her like, oh, I don't know who she is. But like, you're like, okay, let it finish. If you're cool, I think you're cool. It wasn't like she wasn't cool with it. So, I mean, at least in the stories it was told, whatever. But that's what she at. Like, it wasn't consensual. Like, it wasn't, wow. People thought a lot different. Is it right? No, but it was a different time. It was a different period. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with people? Like, oh, I'm reading it now. It's like, I can't believe that he'd have her consent. Well, yeah, because she was in a fucking coma. <laughs> but how did she wake up from that coma? Because the guy didn't then to wake her up. The fabricated story from thin air. Like, there's no one's, no one's feeling fucking hurt. Is that a real fucking story? God damn it. Why are you people stupid? It's like, oh my God, what the fuck's wrong with you how are you so offended? Don't you have like real problems? Like, like have a life to run? And I'd be like, well, you know, offend me because she didn't get done. Well, otherwise, she'd have been a moment to this day. Imaginary life. Here's the funny part. There's a there's a tweet there's from tw- there's a, t- a tweet a tweet in here. It's a tweet. It's, it's a tweet that's responding to a tweet. Um, they actually have Katie Dowd uh, tweeted in here, and it says. Haven't we already agreed that consent in early Disney movies is a major issue? And this is a tweet from at from ground level, and he says, In CPR training, we're instructed that if the person in need of help is unresponsive, consent is implied. There you go. That's yeah. Like if you're if you're dead, pretty sure you don't want to die. So that's the thing. Like, plus it clearly states, if you watched Snow White, that it mentions that when she gives the poison apple to Snow White, that the only way to break that spell is a kiss. But she would have it. She'd rather her die than yes. well, never have consent. Oh. And she's like, oh, thank you so much for waking me up. Can I suck your dick? Well, of course I can. I mean, I just came all this way and slayed a dragon and I do all this shit whatever and... If you don't really want fair maintenance, have a, a, a beautiful kiss from you. Okay, cool. Well, what was happened to you before? Well, well, you got kissed many times before. It didn't really work out. And you got kissed and you woke up because everybody wanted to wake up. Because they wanted to see you jumping around. You know, those big old titties jiggle around or whatever. 
I don't know, man. Why are people getting pissed off about a story that's not even fucking real? You stupid fucks. Like, who gives a fuck? It's a story. It was a tale that was told time ago to your kids. And, I mean, is there any morality from it? No. It's like, okay, one day you might eat your shiny fucking night. Um, let's you up your, like, you up your depression. I don't fucking know. It's a fake story. Like, go get, are you going to get triggered about Star Wars? Triggered by fucking, like, Rick and Morty? What the fuck's wrong with you? You get triggered from, like, you know, the Big Bang Theory? What the fuck's wrong with the people? It's fake shit. Ross and Rachel got back together, and then he broke it off. They were on a break. Who's the fuck? It's fake. <laughs> fucking. Hey. Hey, the Ross and Rachel thing was serious shit back in the day. Shut the fuck up. It's fake. Who gives a fuck? It's like, you know, Tom and Jerry didn't get along. Fuck you. It's fake. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, like we have Goofy and Pluto, and they're both dogs. One of them one of them's a fucking pet. Fuck. It doesn't matter. Why would you give such a fuck about these things? This thing is really egging these people on, and they have nothing better. I wish someone goes to that girl's house and just beats her with a fucking computer, like takes the keyboard and smacks her across the fucking face and say, this is not fucking real. And it, wait, I hope she gets triggered. I only, I only wrote, like, this is what's real. I'm smacking you in the face with a fucking keyboard, you fucking simpleton. You fucking moron. How are you triggered by that? You have no real problems in your life. There's a pandemic going on. There's like whole, like there's people out of jobs. If you're writing about, fuck you. Oh my god, fuck you so much. Oh, like I'm literally reading the top of this paper, this article, and it literally says ten minute read. Like Jesus Christ, man. What? I, I, too long did not read. I would have read. I would be like, dude, you are so. Oh, you're so above the curve. Oh, you're above the curve. Oh, oh my god, your perspective is so dead on. Obviously, did not get consent in this fake ass fucking story of time when women were subservient to men. Absolutely, your point of view for the modern day of that story. They're like, fuck you. Come up with your own story. I think what you're still your head of the curve. What the story that's spinning with this time? A man met a girl, and he signed a consent form. Take her out for, or even took her for consent. He had to go to app to consent for this date to even ask her. So even though he was looking at her. But, like, she was triggered, so therefore she called the authorities. Although he put not send a consent form to her to say, hey, I'm interested in taking you out. But she says, no, but your eyes were low. Therefore, the consent was not even received before you even got it to the credit, though. But the thing is, the consent form has to be notarized by a notary. Which is stamp I just ended two weeks ago. Fuck. No. God damn it. You know, I'm not going to lie. I want to do a sketch on that. So badly. It's like, it's not that fucking hard, people. Like, I, if your life is so fucking meaningless, where you sit there and you just want to find the silver lining, have a one-sided view, and try to get the message, get to it, though, don't be surprised if you might be drawn into, like, this whole collection of fuck you. Like, if you've got to have something else in life. Dude, go to Afghanistan. You know, go to Japan. Go to Russia. See how they live for a second. And then come back and tell me you're going to write this fucking article. Okay? Go to a bad side of town and live there for a week. Go do some real investigation work. Forget the no story time book. Fuck you. Like, if you think life is hard, go somewhere else. We have no idea what the life's about. Go just be a fucking tourist. Try to get the real feel of what life really is. Fuck you. Like, 
fuck that. I mean, I hope that girl gets fucking like. I hope she falls on the fucking stairs and breaks every one of her ankles and her elbows on the way down and she can't pick herself up. I hope that Siri doesn't work when she calls us and the comes and she's like, want to order fucking grapes? I don't know. Like, learn life. Like, oh my God, I just can't. I can't with the stupidity. I can't. What the fuck? It's, it's insane. Like, first of all, they... Most people that complain about Disney movies have never actually sat down and watched them. First of all. And second of all, this is the problem with the younger generation. And even some people in my in our generation, some of them, is that you're trying to take the way the world is now and trying to apply things from the past with that modern mentality, and you cannot do that because time periods were different. People thought differently. People lived differently. People behaved differently. And then things eventually change and evolve. That's how the world fucking works. So you can't look at something from 1955 with 2021 eyes. Why? Because the things in 2021 that we know to be wrong or immoral or even inappropriate are not the same thing in 1955. And if you need an example, let me talk, to quote my favorite wrestler in NXT, let me talk to you. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, as someone who has read the history of censorship to a very big deal, let me explain something funny to you guys. Elvis, did you know that in the 1920s, if a woman was pregnant, she wasn't even allowed on television? Uh, I did not, though, but I'm pretty sure they had pretty stringent fucking things back then. Oh, yeah. Um, lives are different, though. I think it what though. I wish that bitch would fucking go up and learn about um, uh, how Fargo came from the women back in the day. They come a long way. But then, dude, I, I just, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I know, but. Time, time, the only way we say times have changed from, like, the thousands from the 90s, 80s, 70s. People don't think that there's a lot of change. That happened between time just from the studies alone where we are right now it's one so much changes when it comes to the workplace when it comes to roles when it comes to all these different things i mean like from the i mean from the 70s imagine the 60s and the 50s and the 40s man i mean that shit was fucking crazy like it was a real male dominant even into the 80s really like towards the end of the 80s when things started changing for real right yeah but i mean those are different times these Dude, I can't. I can't. I'm done. Fuck them. I just want to kill people, I guess, now. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things that, you know, that were, the times are different. In fact, here's the thing. There was a time where the Brady Bunch was considered offensive. I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about in its time period. The Brady Bunch was controversial. Elvis, do you remember why the Brady Bunch was controversial? Why it offended and triggered a lot of people during its heyday? Because they slept in the same bed? Exactly. Because Mike and Carol Brady, and the only time, the only sexual thing they ever did was when they were ready to go to sleep or ready to have sex, they would just get under the covers and then the screen would fade to black. That was your indicator that, oh, they're going to get it on before they get some sleep. Why? Because newsflash, that's what married couples do. Oh my God. Yeah, they slept in the same bed. You would literally watch sitcoms before that where the guy's in one bed, the girl's in the other bed, the beds aren't joined together, yet they have children? 
wow, well, the dad must have a really long dick because I don't know how the fuck you're pulling that off. So that's why they used to make jokes whenever they would make fun of, whenever they do flashbacks of like sitcoms from back in the day. I remember I saw this on The Nanny where they did a flashback thing where they were doing like, where they were in another time period. She said, honey, I did something drastic. And he's like, oh my God, what happened? She goes, I pushed the beds together. It's like, oh my God. And then the, guy, the dad kind of, and then eventually he kind of smiles and goes, oh, well in that case, and they walk off screen. It was, it was a funny comedic way. Like, that's how fucked up the world used to be. Like, but again, today you can see a couple laying in a bed together talking. Nobody gives a shit. Cause, why? Because things evolved over time. But the people who enjoy seeing Mike and Carol Brady sleeping in the same bed, they didn't look at the people sleeping in separate beds and lose their goddamn minds. Why? Because they knew evolution, shit, changes. Okay? That's ridiculous. Obviously, things like Snow White would not be made today. Why? Because they know this generation can't fucking handle it. And you're clearly demonstrating that you can't fucking handle it. Like, this, like, the amount of research this, this, this guy had to do in order to write this long-ass freaking article. You, do you have too much free fucking time on your hands? With all the shit that's going on in the world today, you couldn't think of anything else to write? Like, I can understand if shit was, I can understand if it was like, if we were still sitting at home and you literally had nothing else to do, and you did this to occupy your time. But you wrote this fucking article in May of 2021. You've had the ability to go out and see shit. And the fact that you took time to not only write about a topic that was already done to death during the Me Too movement, you went into insane research that did nothing but prove that you are the saddest sack ever to walk the earth. Yeah, I'm going to fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that cunt right in that fucking pussy. Fuck that girl. I mean, I hope I hope someday she's a complete fucking asshole and wrecks her fucking life. Hope she falls like head over heels over this guy. So I wrote an awesome love piece ever, but that's like after like way after like the six month, one year, they're engaged, whatever, and he finally reads like, oh my god, this is such fucking garbage. That's amazing. Like she just becomes discouraged, never wants to write again for life, and I just get the rest of the life and make sure first up and like that puff piece was garbage. Like, yeah, bitch, you fucking know it, you stupid broad. <laughs> I don't know. I want to say that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. That was the stupidest piece I've ever heard in my whole life. Yeah, this was that was insane. Anyways, so I don't know. Do you, do we do one more? Or do we wrap this up? <laughs> we wrap this up, man. My brain hurts. I uh, or got killed up from my side. Um, I I heard the. I never heard of my whole life. I just, I want to take a shower now. I just, when you told me, when you told me that story, I just, I have to go read the dictionary now to kind of get some more points up in my head. All right. Well, well, you go read the dictionary, but before you do, let's, uh, let me, I want to take some time, Elvis, to thank you for, uh, you know, taking the time to join me this week here on the Boochcast. And, um, I hope your brain feels better. And I know the fans are looking forward to your, uh, Recap of AEW, and I look forward to uh, talking to you next week. All right, brother. Well, for all the uh, motherfuckers up there, happy Mother's Day. Because um, let's say it's Mother's Day, but the motherfuckers are fathers. So good for Father's Day. Oh, yeah. I'm de- I definitely can't wait to see what happens uh, when 
when the time when the tables are turning, you're the one getting gifts. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, make sure you guys are following us on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, and Google Podcast. Pick the hosting site you like and follow us there, or follow us on all four if you want to really support the show. Also, make sure you guys like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. Uh, we have archived episodes of the show as well as great, amazing content up there. We just recently posted the Boochcast D&D one-shot from WrestleMania is now on the is now on there, so you can check that out. Uh, the appearance of Beef Wellington if you want to... Get some really good fun and excitement. And, of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have got a plethora of YouTube content coming your way, as I mentioned before. The D&D one-shot's up there. WrestleMania Night 1 is up there. And coming soon, Brian Pillman from Dark Side of the Ring. We're going to have Part 1 and Part 2 ready for you to check out. It's going to be insane. Like I said, I'm already in the process of researching and taking notes, and I'm amazed at what I'm seeing from the career of Brian Pillman. So we're going to be getting that video to you very, very soon. Also, make sure you guys follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well. As, you know, that's where we're going to be doing our live uh, watch parties as well as our live D&D shows once they're coming soon. That's where you can live chat with us and check out all the other Twitch content we got coming your way. And of course, support the show through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash theboochcast. We have great rewards for great patrons. For as little as $1 a month. Just $1 a month. You can help contribute to the show, keep it going, help us keep the lights on, help us, you know... Bring in bigger name guests, upgrade equipment, and of course, it helps me take care of all the guys who work hard behind the scenes of this show to make it possible. So, if you feel my co-hosts do a great job and deserve to get paid for it, Patreon is how you help make that happen. And if you'd like to take advantage of some of the other rewards that we got, and you got some extra spending cash, feel free to, to do so as well. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life. And take care. This has been the Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Hold on a second. We pay for this? Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, bon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.